This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we discuss movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. Today on the show, we open up our horror month with the 1984 slasher classic by Wes Craven, A Nightmare on Elm Street, starring Heather Langenkamp and Robert England as the notorious dream stalker Freddy Krueger. Also, we get our first glimpse into teen heartthrob Johnny Depp. So buckle up and get ready as we discuss the meaning, the culture, and style of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's get it started. Hell yes, I'm excited. Alan, how are you? Dude, I'm good. I'm so happy that it's October. We're, we're back in the mix. This is, this is my favorite time of year, like by far, by far. And uh, starting off with a classic too. Yes. So uh, I thought to myself, we got we to gotta start off October with a horror film and we got to keep consistent throughout October with horror movies. Yep. It's horror month. It's only fitting that we review and look at horror films. So thanks for coming. On, hey, on thanks such for having a, me. On such a short notice. I love it. And, uh, you know, I decided to, to do Nightmare on Elm Street on this one. In the coming cast this month, we'll have... You kind of spearheading us into a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Favorite movie of all my, time. And my buddy Donnie will spearhead us into Fright Night, the 1985 version. So You're going all classics on this. We're going classics. All of them. Keeping it in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Which I think is the era, right? Oh, for, for sure. Classic, for classic, for sure. traditional horror films. For sure. I think that's kind of where it all started. Where yeah. Where uh, the, the love for, for horror and the, the real horror buffs kind of came out of that era. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, the reason I chose this was because for me, it, it resonates when as a child. And everybody has a movie that they saw that they probably shouldn't have when they were yep. a kid. Yep. This was mine. And let me take you back to 1987. Okay. Now, keep in mind, Nightmare came out in 1984. Mm-hmm. And back in then, you know, they would run theatrical releases much longer than they do nowadays. Yeah. I mean, you, you can get something like Endgame already on digital. And it's it crazy. just came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was 1987. Parents went out of town. The, uh, our close friends are watching us. Okay. Now, me and my older sister are six years apart. So I'm six years old. Going to be seven. Okay. We go to Blockbuster. Traditional. <laughs> yeah. Right? The people that are watching us, the good friends that are watching us, I'm not going to throw any names under the bus. <laughs> They're still good friends anybody. to this day, so right, I'm not right. going to. But nonetheless, they decide to let the older girls, my sister and her her friend, choose the movie. And so your sister's what, like 12? She's 13. 13. 13 year old girls in the 80s. I, this is one thing I learned. Loved Nightmare on Elm Street. They loved and, it. And Friday the 13th. They loved them. 100%. Oh, yep, yep. So we're wandering around the aisles. We get to the checkout. I don't think the people watching us are even aware of what Nightmare on Elm Street is. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so they check it out. We get home, pop it in. It's the very first scene. Yeah. Is a bit frightening for a six-year-old. Yeah. And you get into, here's the, here's the deal with it. I get into a position when you're young that you're also, the first scene comes up. It's Tina in the dream sequence, Right. There's the boiler room. You see the claws, the yep. whole little montage they're putting together. And as a six-year-old, I'm frozen in my tracks. So not only – you can't just move when you're like – you can't get up and move to another room because uh-uh. you're also weirdly fascinated because you're so exactly. scared because yep. you're feeling some kind of emotion. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. So I'm sitting there. And, of course, 13-year-old girls are oblivious to the whole thing. Oh, yeah. She doesn't know that I'm six and I should never be seeing a movie like this. <laughs> So I'm watching. The, so from the first scene all the way through, I watched the whole movie. I'm petrified. I think if you took a picture of me, I'd have been sweating. Right. I, I remember there was a blanket over me. I couldn't. I was so scared. I couldn't move. I can't even imagine that much. I remember and literally haunted me. And this is the irony behind it. You can ask my parents. It literally haunted me in my dreams until I was in high school. That's so. What were the next, you probably, I don't know if you even remember, what were the next few nights like when you try and go to sleep? Horrific. Yeah. And my parents weren't home. They were still out of town. 
And so I didn't sleep. Were and you I was, at your house or were you at the we were They came to our house okay, to watch well, us. That's good at least. But, but nonetheless, I couldn't sleep. And then you can't go to their, you can't wake them up at no, 2 a.m. and say, hey, I, exactly. Right, right. I'm scared. Right. Nor I couldn't move anyway because you're so frightened, you know, as a kid. <laughs> oh my God. It was the worst. <laughs> I think I probably should have had therapy afterwards Seriously. because even to this day, it's weird. When I first got married 15 years ago, uh-huh. It's, we got married in August. We had a little condo. We went, and my wife was gone working, doing something one night. And on TV, the edited version, mind you, on cable, A Nightmare on Elm Street. The cable, the, the safe version. Yes. Right. On, my wife's gone. I'm in the condo alone. And I'm looking around. I'm weirdly addicted because it's that thing where right. now it's implanted in you. So I want to watch. I want to see Freddy. I want to do it all. Right. But I'm petrified. 24-year-old man. In my condo, and I'm not exaggerating, like it, it, it scared the shit out of me. Oh, for sure. And you can ask my wife, you can ask my parents, even to this day, they give me a hard time. Like, you're afraid of Freddy Krueger. That, that movie left an impression on you. A hundred percent. Holy shit. Like it, it made it, it's left its mark. It hugely, hugely. And four years ago, I'm teaching a class at the Los Angeles Film School. I'm teaching an editing class, mm-hmm. cinema editing and our program director comes up to us and says, hey, I got a buddy who's an editor, and his name's Rick Shane. Oh, no way. And I go, really? And they go, yeah. Would you like him to come guest speak to your students? Fucking A. Yeah. <clears throat> but at the time, I wasn't thinking. And I go, Rick Shane, Rick Shane, okay. And I start looking at his credits, real right. big movies. And I get down to the bottom, or one of his first credits. Right. Not his first, but one of his first. And it says, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, my God. And I go, fuck, Rick. So the first time I meet him before he comes to class, I tell him, first off, I love A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm sure he gets this from everybody, sure, sure. right? And we all know as, as filmmakers, like editing is a huge, has a huge role in how cinema Absolutely. plays out. But I said, secondly, pardon my French, Rick, but thanks for fucking up my childhood. <laughs> and your adulthood, it sounds like. <laughs> and going, in, I'm now to a point where I can actually watch it by myself and be okay. So this, this screening, as we were preparing for this podcast, I was able to watch it by myself. Good. And, and I got through it okay. Good. So I chose this movie for those reasons, but also because I'm still fascinated by it. I still think it holds uh, a lot of value in the way that it was made and the way it was put together. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into all those things. Give me, you, you, you hear my personal backstory behind right. the film. And even a cool little tie-in to some of the crew. Give me your, your impression or your kind of perspective about Nightmare on Elm Street, just on the general sense, and then we'll dig deeper here in a bit. So my, my relationship with this movie and this franchise in particular is, is way different. So I got into horror, and I got into Halloween, and I got really into Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously, and everything that came before it. And this was one of those that I didn't – I just never got around to seeing. And so, but it was the one that all my other horror buddies, everyone I know who loves horror, they're like, oh, it, this is the thing, you know, this is, it was always Michael and Jason and Freddie. Right. And that defined kind of the 70s and 80s, mainly the 80s with Freddie. And, and so I came into it way, like being way more jaded. Like I wasn't as fresh and I'd seen all the, all, you know, the worst stuff that I've seen. You saw Leatherface already. Exactly. I've I seen mean, Leatherface. You, you, that's pretty. Exactly. That and goes so, somewhere. And, but this one. So when I saw it, it didn't it didn't scare me, but I liked Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And the later ones, I don't I didn't like those as much because he talks constantly and he's in the movie constantly, and it wasn't scary at all. Yeah. I mean, it's more of a joke later on. Right. But going back and rewatching this for the first time, and I don't know, maybe like six or seven years, I forgot how scary he was in this one. Because I think of him and I think of the guy cracking jokes before he kills someone. Yeah. And There's I, still some of that in here. There is, for sure. But he's actually pretty scary. And the shit he did, they did with his voice uh, kind of freaked me out. I, I have, I'm kind of an audiophile that way. And sounds really affect me. Yeah. So the way they did his voice kind of kind of messed with my head. And the screeching of the 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 knives on the on the boiler room walls, that, that kind of messed with me. But... It really, I forgot how scary that he can be when yeah. he really tried. And Wes Craven did a great job with that. I think this movie, and I agree, because as you get later into the franchise, and we won't cover too much into that, Sure. but it ties in. And the tie-in is two things. One is it, it starts to lose whatever uh, power and essence that it mm-hmm. had in the first one. And it almost becomes 
a parody. Right, right. Of something that's supposed to be scary. It's super cool still because the kills are over the top and he's a great character, but it's not scary. The characterization of Kruger is next to none. Right. I, I think, and, and I know that we could probably battle on this, and I have some some notes in here, because I'm talking, where did this, I don't want to get into it too early, but where right. does Kruger fall on the all-time horror oh, that's a good one. characterization that's or, the, a good or one. the character build? Um, but but um, I think Craven, you know, and, and knowing a little of the history, and I'm sure you know this too, he kind of leaves the franchise after the, the first one, then yeah. comes back he into it. his toe back into it, yeah. Yeah, later on. But this first one, when I'm looking at this movie, there's two things that are pro- that I'm trying to process. One is, it's a- it's really filmed beautifully. Yeah, it is. Now there's some things in there that don't hold up, you know. But for the most part, on a broad stroke, from a technical perspective, the side of like the cinematography, the special effects, yep, the way it's constructed, the directing, like you're mentioning, uh, Craven and his 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 ability to kind of play with the camera and kind of make it and manipulate it into the character, like it's made really beautifully yep and that still holds even after 30 plus years or 30 plus years later absolutely absolutely there's a couple shots of him where and that was the other thing i liked about this is you don't really see him a whole lot and when he's there he's silhouetted a lot and you see like the burns hidden figures but you don't really see him and that that was very effective and that, I mean, they went the Jaws technique, and I think yeah. that's how they should have just kept with that. Yeah, because there's a couple scenes that do date. Now, as right. much as I have admiration for it, there are a couple scenes. There's the the scene where he's chasing after Tina yeah. in the alleyway, yeah. and he's doing yeah. the weird kind of movement with his body. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, and his arms extend really long. And his really arms long. extend really yeah. long, and it kind of dates it a little bit. Sure. And it almost falls on the side of campy. Right, right. Uh, and that's an interesting point, too, because when you watch the movie – one scene can be real campy, like mm-hmm. that one. And then the very next scene is quite frightening. It doesn't ruin it at all. No. At all. It doesn't set it up and go, oh, it's not believable. Right. I keep The next scene, I can get into this this deeper meaning of whatever it might be. Right. Right. And, and it's a little more scary than just this kind of campy uh, shot of him kind of running right. down the alleyway. Do you think... Now, I have a question for you, and, and, and we'll get into this, which is... You know, there's a lot to pull from the movie if you're looking at theme and the meaning of it. Like, what's the subtext? What are we What are we layering into the film? What is Craven really saying? There's a lot of stuff out there. You can read things. Sure. What's your take on that? And then I want to share mine a little bit. There, There's two. I mean, there's the one that is kind of, I don't want to call it a trope, but it's present in most uh, 80s horror films. And that's the whole budding sexuality of, of the teenagers. It's overtly sexual. Absolutely, without a doubt. And But for me, it's more about being vulnerable because there is no time where you are more vulnerable than when you are sleeping. Interesting. Uh, and that, like, to me, even, like, with, with my girlfriend, like, I'll be sleeping in bed and I'm worried, like, am I making weird noises? Am I going to do, you know, like, I still... When we first dated, not so much anymore, but I, I still worry about that. Yeah, you that get kind jaded of thing. later on. Yeah, exactly. 15 yeah. years into a marriage, and I'm like, I don't, what is yeah, what's exactly. happening? I'm yeah. just sleeping like a, like a log. Exactly. But, you know, and I don't know what I'm doing, and you also don't know what can happen to you. Like, I, even my daughter will run up and wake me up in the middle of the night, and it scares the shit out of me being like a little thing just standing right, right next to my bed. Yeah. Because that could have been anything. Yeah. Anything could have been happening to me, and I'm defenseless. I, the other night, so in our hallway, it's dark during the night. There's no, we didn't put a nightlight in or anything. And I'm coming out of the bathroom. And before I come out the door, I actually turn the light off. And as I come out the door, I bump into something. Oh. And I almost throw a right hook. <laughs> and it's my, it's my, my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter. She has to use the bathroom. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm amped up right, and it right, scares me. Right. And so I almost throw a right hook at her. Oh, yeah. yeah. So being, I mean, it's not being asleep, but the vulnerability of not knowing your surrounding. Yes. You know, and I think they play into that quite well in the film, like just creating an atmosphere of, of uncertainty. Like right. when Nancy falls into um, one, one scene would be, for example, when Nancy's at school and this is even jumping a little forward in the, in the storyline of the film and Tina's already dead. Yeah. Right. And Nancy falls asleep at school on mm-hmm. her desk yep. and wakes up in a dream state and then sees Nancy and starts following. Like it's the school still. But there's still uncertainty because we're watching Nancy kind of, you know, go through right, the hallways right. and then down to a cellar and then down to another room. And just there's uncertainty of where we are and what's and what's going on. It's a disorientation. And there's a lot of that in there, even with the fact that 
who you think is going to be the main character is killed off within the first, I don't know, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then you're kind of stunned. Does I mean, that fall into trope? Uh, I don't know. You, you're, you're like we talked about before. Like this is your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Like I love horror movies, but sure. then there's another tier, and you're part of that tier, sure, that higher sure. tier. Is that it? When you watch it, you go, "Oh, Tina's who we're going to follow throughout the whole film." Sure. And then she's gone within, like you mentioned, the first 15 minutes. Right. Would you expect that, or do you? I don't think so. Um, and especially back when this came out, I don't. I don't think. I'm trying to think back on some of the old classics, like Halloween wasn't like that. Um, so I don't think so. I don't think it's a try. It kind of is now, or it could be yeah. overused. But I actually think it'd be more effectively used more often than it than it actually is nowadays. But, but so you're disoriented with that, and then there's this whole thing. Half the time you don't know, are they dreaming? Are they awake? Or what's going on? Like when she's, and this is again going later on when she's when she's asks Johnny Depp, and I can't remember his character's name because he's just Glenn. Glenn, that's right. When she asks him to do something for him. I only remember that because my wife goes, look how cute he is. <laughs> and he was, man. He yeah. Was. And I looked yeah. at her and I said, I can see yeah. he is cute. Yeah, he is. He's very cute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. But you, you don't know what's going on because she's she's screaming for him. And it feels like she's in a dream when she's heading to the police station. Right. And she's screaming for him, but he pops out. So it's Yeah, he like, comes out of the tree. Right. Are you still there, Glenn? And he jumps right. out. So, and you're like, wait, are they... What's going? Are they dreaming? Are they dreaming or are this real? Exactly. And there's yeah. a lot. I I found myself even having seen the movie, still questioning what was going on if they're dreaming or not. So there's a lot of disorientation and a lot of that um, uncertainty. And I think it also plays into you know these kids are adolescents. They're in high school, and there's a lot of uncertainty when you're in high school. Yeah, I think that's a great cross uh, connect, which is like, look, these kids are are going through so many things. I think you know if you get into the acting, what I found interesting about particularly was uh, Nancy's character. And is it Heather Lingenkamp? Yes. So Heather Lingenkamp played by Heather. You know, when you watch and you're talking about, you know, vulnerability and you're talking about being in high school and, and the feelings that you have as a kid when you're 16, 17 years old. And I want to touch on that a little bit when it comes to the acting, because as I'm watching the film, I, there were moments where I looked at Lingenkamp's performance and I went, not very <laughs> Me good. Too. Me too. Not very good. What were your thoughts on that? Because I, I actually have something that I want to share and see what you think about it after you tell me what you thought about her performance. As um, a, as a, overall, as a I, I just I wasn't really sold, but it didn't really matter because it was more about the environment. And I mean, we kind of talked about this with some other films we talked about. No, but, but that just, makes sense. It just wasn't it. I wasn't sold on her. I wasn't either. And then I started thinking about it. And, and here's what I want to throw at you and see if this sticks. Okay. So I, I'm watching it going, yeah, her performance seems campy mm-hmm. and it seems un, uh, it seems inauthentic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem real. It feels like she's uh, an actor trying to portray a character. Yes. But <clears throat> then I started thinking about it and we were talking about teenagers. I mean, this film is so nuanced with the idea of what it means to be a teenager in the world mm-hmm. beyond horror films. And that's what's so great about this movie. It has so much subtext. Right, right. But I started thinking about it. And I go, well, what were you as a, as, a, as a high school kid or a teenager? And for me, like, I thought, well, I remember, I'm trying to look back, and this has been 20 years. Right. So I'm trying to go, hmm. But I do remember how I acted, which was partly overconfident, but based in really insecurity. Yes, absolutely. So really, absolutely. it's like, I'm, I'm exuding <laughs> this thing that everything's okay, and I'm all right, and it's fine, and I'm pretending to do you know what i mean i'm pre- yes. I'm putting on a facade of like hmm i'm good i'm cool everything's good but inside it's like you know i'm, I'm none of these things i'm right. portraying right exactly and the reason i bring it up is because her acting could be really bad <laughs> or or <laughs> and i'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt here because i love her as a character yeah. just in i mean if you were looking at the character of for the storyline absolutely but or She's portraying a person who is exuding some kind of confidence because every response that she gives to her mother is like always over the top. That's right. I'm, yeah. I'm fine, mom. I'm yes. good. And you know what I mean? And it's a little bit pushing it. And, and, and it's almost playing into that, at least that idea to a degree, which is right. like maybe she's just trying to be, she's acting as an overconfident teenager who really doesn't have any confidence. That could be. I mean, there's a little that, that could be. No? Well, I definitely think, especially when she's very assertive. I think you're right. When she's kind of taking control of the situation with her parents, I think she does that. And 
by the way, her parents, especially her dad, good God, man, could you have a more callous, like, her best friend was just murdered and her dad's yelling at her. It's just like, it made me so enraged, and I don't ever yeah. remember seeing that before when I saw this movie. Yeah, because now you're a parent. And yeah, so you exactly, look at yeah, it and you exactly, go, exactly. what a dick. Yeah, I can't, you know? I would never, ne ever. No, not in a million years. Yeah. And also, I think Craven's talking to some extent about that in the terms of sure. uh, oblivious parenting. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Letting kids just go do without having at least any responsibility to try to rear or help them or, or right. have them confide in you in right. some way. And I think he's talking about that overarching role of parenthood and, and, and their oblivious nature. Sure. They're very, actually, when I look at her, when I look at Nancy's father and mother, they're narcissists. Totally. They totally. only care about themselves. Yep. Her mother's a drunk. Her dad's obsessed with work, could care less about her or what's happening to her. Uses her as a pawn yep. to get what he wants, you know, when he goes after Rod because yep. they think Rod killed uh, Tina. So, yeah, the parenting in this, and I, but I think that's Craven, that's the other subtext, which is great because then Craven's talking about like, you know, a world of like how parents can be, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, and, and repetition, like oblivious. They can just exactly. Kinda, and then there's the opposite where the mother locks her in the house. And puts her in danger because she goes overboard on like she realizes that she hasn't she's been a little too oblivious a little too way too oblivious and so then she locks the house down and it's almost comically trapped. done though right because right. she comes back and there's bars on the window right, right and you're right she takes it from not caring at all to the extent of like what the fuck are you doing right, exactly because you're putting bars on and then she comes in and she's drunk yep. and, she, and nancy's trying to get out yeah and she's like locked 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 then yep. you're yep. just like this bitch is crazy <laughs> she's insane exactly right? yeah so but i think i think craven's speaking to that a little bit too which is that subtext of parenting oh for sure you know for sure and then you can take that same concept and look at the driving plot of the film which is kruger returns in these children's dreams yep. and these kruger was killed by these children's parents do you yeah. know what i mean so yep. like the the kids are responsible for the the things that their parents did. Right, they're paying for the they're sins paying of the, of the, the, parents, the common right. yeah the the theme of like they're paying for the sins of the of the of the parents. Right, yeah, and that's tied in there too. Absolutely, right? so, <clears throat> a lot of things. I mean, it's like there's a lot of there's stuff. A, it's that, a lot deeper than you would expect, actually. I that's why I think I love it so much because yeah. once again we were talking about this before, but like for me. You know, you're in that wheelhouse of horror where that's your genre. And right. I love these films that like really try to push me intellectually and get me thinking and stimulated sure, in a different way. Sure. And even as something as as common and, and just kind of like and other horror movies do this as well. Absolutely. And that's the greatest thing. That's why I do love them, because they they, they carry like this big surface, 30,000 foot level right. idea. And it's just like, oh, it's massacre and it's slasher and right. it's this. But there's like darker subtexts going the on. The best ones always have some sort of <clears throat> subtext and they're trying to send a message. And I sure. think this one definitely carries that quite, quite well. Um, and that's pretty good. I think that covers a lot of like the meaning, at least to the yeah. personalization of it, For you know, sure. like the interpretation of the meaning. Tell me... Uh, Tell me, like, uh, uh, what's your what? What's a scene that resonates? Like, is there something? It could be good or bad. Like, oh, that we talked about him in the in the alleyway, but like a scene that you go, that was fucking awesome, or a scene that you go, nee. well, the, the first one, you know, we're talking about hasn't aged very well. Was when he cuts off his finger, yeah, and he's got just that dumb look on his face, and uh, he even delivers for, a dumb line, exactly, exactly. But uh, that's one that sticks out for bad. Good, I mean, that bed scene where Johnny Depp is swallowed up is still holds up as one of the best kills I've ever seen ever. Holy shit. And even Tina's death. Was Tina's a, death is amazing. It's, I mean, for a 1984 movie, I, I, I still am blown away by it. Those two murder scenes, slasher scenes. Yeah. I mean, just it, like, unbelievable. I just watched Tina's death going, Holy shit. It's 2019. And, and I, I'm still going, so good. It, it's it holds up. It absolutely holds up. It's still scary as hell. Now, do you know how they technically did it? Did you do any research? Yeah, into it? yeah. I've uh, tell I, me about what you researched. They had the big it? the big room right where they yeah. flip it around. Right, they bolt everything down and then they flipped it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the actors were it, it, it and then they could film it upside down. Right, yeah. right. But it looks so good. It does. I mean, even when she's kind of like on the wall and then she's on the ceiling and there, it doesn't look like. She's being jostled. It looks no. like she's just kind of being thrown around by a guy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And that scene is, 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 
it's pretty dark. It is beyond beyond the the sense of someone being brutally murdered. Right. Like, we know that's dark, but but then there's like that once again that overt sexuality to yes. it. Yes. Of like, if you're talking something on a more serious tone, it feels it's rapey. Absolutely. You Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, I think he cuts right down her shirt, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, very. It goes into some stuff that becomes... It's ins- uncomfortable. That's what I was going to say. It becomes uncomfortable, right? Um, which which is Kruger's, his motive. That's his exactly. thing. Is to make, is to, is that, you know, he's a murderer. And exactly. There's always talk about Kruger being like a pedophile and like... Being, right. And I think some research I did, actually Craven originally wrote him as a pedophile. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was... Part of and and what had happened was there was something in the news topically during the time before they started filming, and then he pulled it back. Okay. So he had originally conceptually thought of it, and 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 my research could be off, but this is what sure. I researched that he that Kruger was a pedophile, and the parents killed him based on the pedophilia, which is a very understandable thing. I mean, I which would want- is. I would want to do the same One, thing. That brings a whole nother level exactly. to it. Exactly. Well, uh, I think they went with that in the remake. If I remember. I've seen the remake and it's not very good, but I think they did go with that. The in the 2010 aspect. release. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that one. It's you can't have anyone else as, as Freddy Krueger. Yeah, because they changed it up and put someone else. Yeah. In. Yeah. You just can't. No. It's, no. It's got to be Robert Ingram. It has to be. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. And so that going back to that idea of like of, of Krueger being a pedophile. Um, makes it even more dark and even more disturbing. Yep. Now they changed it up, and of course, in the storyline of the movie, it's he's disclosed as a child murderer. Right. But then they also talk about him like taking the kids down into a broiler room, and so there's insinuation. There. Absolutely. I mean, it's still it's still pretty dark. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny. Be it's not funny, but it's interesting because then the parents. Despite the murder or the the pedophilia, like it, there's justification in what they did. Sure. When I think of it as a parent, I'm like, yeah. I'd, Kill Absolutely. that guy too. No, wanna, no qualms about I'm it. I'm going to murder him in my seat. <laughs> exactly. I'm in the same boat. We're going to burn him alive. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> he's a deeply uh, disturbing character. Absolutely. Kruger is, Absolutely. You know? um, and I think that's why I have a, a harder time when he becomes kind of a, a comic relief character. Not comic relief, but he becomes a, co- a comedic character in the later installments. And I, because he really is dark. I mean, when you think about what he's done and why they killed him it's it's bad man it's bad like it's not funny yeah like there i recall a lot from uh nightmare three which Mm -hmm. is dream warrior that one seems to stand out for me and there's just a whole bunch of you know as they're in the psych ward and all this stuff and like the the, of course the one that stands out is when he's in the 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 television room and he comes down he's like prime time (laughs) (laughs) you know he said that that's still funny actually it's still a great kill it's still a great kill and like actually it's a great line it's a great line like prime time bitch you know but but you're right. He, it's funny if you look at Kruger in the first one. I I don't see him in that same light that I saw him, like you were mentioning, in the later films. Right, right. And uh, I think they got away from who he is as a core character, which mm-hmm. is deeply dark and disturbing. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about... Uh, so those are good. Those are some good uh, scenes. Uh, is there a particular line of dialogue that, that stands out that you're like, oh, that's hilarious? Um, or it's just good writing. Like for me as a filmmaker, it might even be... I'll give you an example. And there's there's one where at the beginning of the film, he uh, there uh, it's it's Tina and it's uh, Nancy and Glenn and Rod. And it's 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 an example of just funny writing. And me and my wife both laughed at it Uh and they're going to school and Rod comes up and he's like, I had a heart on this morning when I woke up, Tina had your name written all over it. (laughs) And then Tina goes. There's four letters in my name, Rod. How can there be enough room on your joint for four letters? Oh, my God. And we just started laughing. Well, so I had a question about that, actually. So later on, it's talked about that Rod and Tina had a fight. Was that the fight? Because they were kind of, they were pissed off at each other. Was that the fight they had? Because then he gets really upset and he says, screw you with a, a something lawn, like a Yeah, because then he said, up mower. yours with a twirling lawnmower. Yeah, exa- yeah. I guess that's the fight. I can't recall off the top of my because then later on when they're at Tina's house and he comes and, and yeah. Rod sneaks up and he's like, hey, you know, yeah. And they go into the maybe that maybe that was the fight. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I, I don't recall seeing anything else. Me neither. Or being in, or having any exposition on what they said. Exactly. So but I think that line just stood out to me. I, I thought it was that. funny. Yeah, I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was great. What about a favorite? Do you have a do you have a favorite line or one that uh, that it, cre- 
I have a Kruger line that oh that I think is great, but I'll let you go with yours first. So it, it's a very Kruger thing, and but it's when she's on the phone, and he goes, "I'm your boyfriend now," yeah. and then the, the tongue comes out. Oh, it, I mean, it get and I know it's coming. Yeah, but it gets me every time. Yeah, it's just it's hilarious, and but also at the same time, you think that'd be terrifying. Yeah, but it's it just it's it's just a very Kruger thing to say and do. Right. Yeah, that's a great line, and that that that's uh, it's. Th- that particular scene too with the special effects i mean yeah does it hold up did it hold up in that scene the tongue comes out of the phone i think they cut away from it just just in time for it to still 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 be somewhat believable yeah 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 i'm always in i think what i like about some of the lines like of course the one we mentioned with rod like there's so much sexuality in the film yeah. so i love that he plays into that and then there's this one line from glenn who's who's wanting to he's he's nancy's boyfriend mm-hmm. but they're very straight laced right and and there's a line where all he says is morality sucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because he's hearing them having because he's hearing that, that's what right. it is and he hears yeah. rod in there with, and then he's like yeah. morality sucks yeah. yeah you know and i just think he plays what craven does so well is plays into he builds the world of the teenage yep. high school experience and the dynamics between people and relationships and yep. kids at that age so well yeah i agree <clears throat> So that line always stood out to me. Uh, I, another one from Nancy, which is like she's looking in the mirror after she's aged through going through the dream. And she's like, I look 20 years old. Yeah. I, remember, I remember listening to that being like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I know. It's funny. <laughs> Kill for that. So <laughs> talk a little bit about um, what's your what's your takeaway on. Um, we talked a little bit about the, the technical shots, um, the special effects a little bit. How do they hold up? Let's go a little deeper maybe on the special effects or anything that you think either holds up or doesn't quite hold value in today's standards. Uh, I, I just, I love practical effects. And I know back then that was the only choice they had, but I just, that's what I love about old horror movies is going back and seeing the practical effects. The digital stuff just doesn't do it for me. It doesn't carry the same visceral. It really doesn't. And, of it. and even though, even the bad practical effects in movies are still better than most digital uh digital effects so I, I i'm a sucker for those so i just i loved every like i said i love the tongue um and the, the one that did not hold up at all though was when the mo- the mother was being sucked into the bed and she she just sticks up her arm yeah that did not hold up so that's a good it doesn't hold up it's it's very um it you can tell it's some kind of just normal mold of a skeleton. Yes, yes. You know, and then the arm has no real animation to it. It's just kind of like <laughs> yeah, this. Exactly. Just, you know, like giving a what is a bo- high L Hitler yeah. sign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a exactly. weird, yeah. you know, weird thing. But that doesn't hold up well. But let's talk, talk about that scene quickly because there's a lot of, for me, I'm trying to interpret some of the ending, which mm-hmm. is like, it's, it's almost like, when do we come out of the dream? Or Right when does it end or what's the resolute ending to this thing that Nancy's going through with this guy in her dreams? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause mom dies. Dad was there. He witnessed it. Did he not? Or he, is, he did. And his reaction is, was just, and like, his reactions. So I'm wondering when does Nancy actually come out of the dream or does she ever? And that's how we end it. Well, and that's the, that's the question. And this is again, you know, the whole disorienting part of this movie is, was she dreaming this whole... Did she really even bring him into the real world? Is this one whole dream? Exactly. From beginning to uh, end. That's a good point because you just... Because you think he she brings him back into the real world and then you think it's over with the whole, you know, uh, I take back all the power, I gave you all the energy. But then they get in the car and the, his sweater is, is the roof of the convertible. It closes and then the mom sucks through the door. Which that effect doesn't hold up either. No, not at all. So any not effect with the mom's getting mom is, exactly. is bad. Because exactly. the last one, it, it looks like a rubber doll. Totally. Or a plastic doll. Totally, yeah. exactly. So I, I, don't, I don't know if she is even out of the dream at all. And I don't remember the, uh, the later installments good enough. I know she comes back, I think, in the third one. Yeah, she's not in two. She's not in two. Which deserves its own podcast. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the subtext in that one. <laughs> Talk about subtext in movies. But 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 she does come back um, in f- not in four. She doesn't come back till later. Because okay. in three is Dream Warriors with uh, Arquette. Right, right. What's her name? Uh, I just went blank. But Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Yeah. And then in four, it's not um, um, uh, Heather Langenkamp. Right. She, but so, she, I know she's in New Nightmare. Yeah, but that's that's the, kind of a different entity in itself. Is that where is that where he came back to yeah. the director's seat? Yeah, and, and he makes a cameo in it, and man, he's 
horrible. Yeah. He can't act. He can't act, but yeah. he can sure as hell make a good story. Yeah, he can. Yeah, he can. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if it, if it tells how she survived or if she, if she survived in the later movies, I don't, I don't know. So I, I, I tend to think that she never woke up from the dream that she put herself into to bring Kruger out. Remember she set the, the, the alarm on her watch. I think she's still in that dream. In the new nightmare, but that's a whole, you, you would consider that a whole reinstallment, right? Yes. It's yes. not attached in the sense of storyline to the first one. Is that? Uh, it, it is. Because I can't remember either off the top it of is, my head. It basically, Freddy Krueger comes into the real world. They're working on the new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That's what it and is. And he comes into the real world. Right. So she's playing herself, actually. She's playing Heather Langenkamp, who is playing Nancy. That's that right. that makes sense. That's yep. super meta. Yeah. That's super. That's. Yeah. Craven's going meta out. out and he, the... he brought Freddy back to scary in that one, too. Yeah, he does. Very I do scary. remember that. Yeah. It's, a, it's more. Yeah, it's more raw. Exactly. It's, yeah. Well, that's interesting because I'm still confused and I'll admittedly say that somebody who watches films and makes films and studies films like I'm confused and I don't know if that was part of Craven's, you know, desire or his 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 what he wanted to leave us as because because it was like a dream and then there was another dream and then the, the right. ending out they came out of it. And so I I don't know if she ever came out of the dream or it was all one big dream and I'm still trying to kind of dissect it and figure out where I want to where I want to you know put myself right. in, the, in that in that situation. So I love the, uh, the, the, the not happy ending though. I'm a sucker in horror <clears throat> films when the, yeah, I like that. It doesn't just end on like, Hey, we all, these people survived. They're yeah. all happy. And, and, and then like, I do like that. Like in the sense that in the, it, when you first watch it, you look at her going out and meeting her friends yeah. and you're like, Oh, her friends are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. Uh, uh -huh. I, I agreed. And then, so leaving it up for some form of interpretation is kind of nice. Yeah, you know? I agree. Leaves you thinking. Leaves you thinking. He definitely does that. Um, tell me about uh, how and we. T how does it hold up as a genre, as a horror genre? Now, if you're if you're thinking about you know the seventies and eighties and 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 horror films being made, like there's something that's a those they're like pioneers. Right. Of, right. of this genre. You have the, 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 the middle to, to late 70s going into the 80s and all these great horror films, the Carpenter films, Texas mm -hmm. Chainsaw, Halloween, those kind of films. Um, and even Craven has built horror films before this. This is not his first go right. at it. Right. But I don't think his other ones hold up the same way as this do. Yeah, like I agree. Last House on the Left and those kind of films, they yeah. just don't carry the same strength that I something like this does. How does it hold up as a genre film? Oh, I'm not the biggest Wes Craven fan. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't dislike his films, but it just, I, I just never really bought into he's this horror god type of thing. But when it, and when it comes to um, most 70s and 80s classics, when you look back, they don't typically hold up very well. They usually, like you go back and look at Halloween. It's one of my favorite movies ever, but it's pretty boring for most of it. I think only three people get killed in the whole movie or four or something like that. So they don't always hold up, but we still hold them on high regard because they're the, they're the pioneers. Yeah. This one, and I kind of, before I went back and rewatched this film, I kind of felt the same way. But now that I rewatched it, it actually holds up a lot better than I expected it would. A lot better. I think it holds up, going back to this, I think it holds up because it's shot so well. Yes. I think the cinematography I think you're right. is beautiful. I think you're right. For like almost all of it. Yeah. Like, and also the scenes... We talked about the two with with Tina dying and and with Glenn dying. Those are fantastic. But like just little things, like I, I'll go back to this again because the the school scene where she wakes up and sees Nancy in the body bag. Yeah, like it's just That's the way scary. It's, it's scary. That's very scary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then she follows her and then bumps yep. into the hall pass person and then yep. before you know, and the hall pass girl has the sweater on. Yep. Turns around and does the little thing oh with the. Oh my god! Just the little touches. Because and but she's dressed as a normal kid that's a hall pass monitor. Uh huh. And she's got the claws on. And she's like, "Hey, <laughs> that's that shit's spooky." And I yeah. think that's what he does good at because there's little things like that that are kind of in there all the way through. Mm -hmm. That those little things that. They're not like over the top, in your face, slasher moments, but those little things that to me make it creepy. Right. You I agree. I, mean? I agree. And I, I think that's that's really the best part of this movie is just the atmosphere is so thick. Like yeah. it's just when you're in that world, it is scary. Yeah. It's a dream. And there's nothing it's a you nightmare. can do. Right. 
and there's nothing you can do. And the worst part about knowing that there is this guy who lurks in your sleep is you have to sleep. You can stay, you can try and stay awake and drink all the coffee you want. You can, you can do that, but you're going to fall asleep at some point and then you, you're, you're done. And that to me that there's something terrifying about something you just cannot escape at all. You can't escape it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and, and every, yeah, everyone's susceptible to it. It's yeah. something that everyone has to do and you can't escape it. Right. Yeah. It's frightening. It's scary. It's scary. It, yeah. And, and the that's, concept. That's why I think it holds up a lot better than I, than I originally thought yeah. for sure. Yeah. So this, there's, there's a special effects scene that does stand out for me, which I think is just really well put together and it's real. And this goes again to not being over the top, but just mm -hmm. being subtle. And I think those little subtleties, those scenes that they create, what we were just talking about really help amp it up. And it's the scene where Nancy's in the bathroom, yep. in the tub. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's the sim. I mean, it wasn't probably simple to film. It probably took a lot of, I'm still trying to figure out how they did that. So here's what I read. And I don't know, once again, your research on the internet could be right. all over the place. But I, after I watched it, I was like, how the hell did they make right. that look so good? Because just talking about that subtext in that scene, I mean, she's naked in a bathtub and the claw comes up between her legs. Right. Right. And you're like, and it's spooky and overtly sexual. Right. But then I read, I was like, how did they do that? What's the technical approach to doing this? And this is what I read. And whether it's right or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what they ended up doing was building a three-wall set okay. over a pool. Oh, my God. Right? So they built the set around the pool, the bathroom set. Right. And then they have an endless eight-foot tub because they can just build the, the tub, have it bottomless, uh -huh. right? Have a guy in scuba gear, in a scuba suit. Sc oh, my God. This and is then they can that way they can pull down pull her down all the way right and also have the ability to bring the hand up through the tub that is the, just the extent that they went to I love for, it to, for some of these some of these shots and that's just like one little scene in this thing one little scene where i mean the big desk for uh for tina and for glenn i can understand that because that those are big events but this is just one little this scene. this is one thing but it's but that's what those are that's what i mean and i think that's what craven does so well and and is those subtleties yeah and that's what makes it creepy for me is that that's what makes it feel real and feel visceral. Right, right. Like the over-the-top deaths, well, I mean, blood, and that's fun. Right. Because that's what we want to see when exactly. we go to a horror movie. Exactly. But like the little subtleties help amp those up even more. That those That's my favorite part of every horror movie is when you can effectively have those little moments where you're just creeped out. It's not necessarily terrifying, but it's just you're creeped out. It makes your skin crawl. That's, that's what I look for in a horror movie. Yep, 100%. Where do you... Now, you kind of mentioned this a little earlier... And being the little the the horror expert or the horror, uh, uh, it's your it's your thing. Where does it fall if in in all time? It's a big ranking. It's like mm -hmm. okay, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of horror films. There's new contemporary films. You have new filmmakers, right? People like Jordan Peele or whoever it is, and then you have all the classics, right? So you have you have an affinity for things. You just like things. We're people like different things we just like mm -hmm. perspectively like different things i'm curious where for you it falls if you had to rank it in a top 10 Ooh, that's a and, good and I'll, I'll distinguish it into two parts yeah one is character so villain monster okay right so let's start there uh he i mean he's definitely got to be top two i i wouldn't put that before rewatching it at all. What would you what would you put before him? I'm super biased, but Leatherface is my favorite. We'll and, get into that next cast. And th when we talk about that, I'll tell you exactly why he's Perfect. my favorite. Uh Michael Myers would have been second, but I think Freddie's personality and also the like you said, the way they shot him and just the way he looked. He looks terrifying. He does. He looks scarier than Jason. I I mean, I what what makes Michael Myers scary is that there's no expression. And there's nothing there. And it's like a soulless. The void. Exactly. Where Freddy's just the opposite. Where it is, there's almost too much there. It's like the the uncanny valley. It's just like, this is disturbing just to look at him. He's grotesque. He's ugly. Yeah. He's also a little over the top in his yep. personality. Yep. And once again, the 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 idea of who he is as a as a human or who he was uh -huh. as a person and that's the other thing i like about his story is we do have some exposition yeah. so we we like we talked about before he's a pedophile he's a murderer so we don't like him immediately because right. we already know who he is exactly and so then when you add on the quote unquote mask in his case the claws and the mm -hmm. face you're like man this dude's spooky and creepy and i don't like him at all yeah and that's why he is i think he's 
terrifying. He really, and then you add on the whole fact that he comes in your dreams. Yeah. You're so vulnerable when you're sleeping and it's his world and you can't get out unless, unless you get lucky and someone wakes you up or something, you can't get out. And so to me, that's what makes him so scary. So I put him probably, I put, I put him two. Put him on two on the ranking. Two, yeah. And so I'm going to come in hot with the number one because, you know, uh, and we'll get into this with Texas Chainsaw next time. But for me, for the many reasons that you explained, like, I just think there's so much subtext and so much deep layering to who Freddy is. We know his history and he's yep. dark and disturbing. And, and for me also, what's interesting is we play between two worlds. So like, yeah. you know, a lot of times in horror films, it's all just happening and transpiring in, in real time in the sense of that moment mm-hmm. in that world for that character. And the, the thing about Freddy is the disorientation of like, am I, is it real? Is it not? Is, yes. it, is it, and that feeling of, in a sense, vulnerability and not knowing what world we're playing in. Like that to me makes it spookier. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. So I throw him just because of those. And then the things you mentioned, I'm going to, I'll throw him down as a ranking of one. I like it. I like it. What about, so the other part to that question is in terms of horror franchises, where does it fall? Um, And we talked about this a little because some of the other sequels to this particular one kind of start to fall off the map a Mm -hmm. little bit. But coming back into it, where do you sit with with uh, in comparison to like something like the Halloween franchise sure. or something like um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, right. of course. Yeah. Well, I think as far as a franchise go, when you look at the whole thing, because having sequels suck is nothing new for horror movies. That's sure. kind of how it is. They they find their cash cow and they milk it for everything it's worth. But I think. This is really this is a really solid franchise. Even when it gets super campy and comedic, it's not as good, but it's still fun. Um, Halloween's sequels are terrible. Almost all of them are terrible. Even zombies. Uh, Rob Zombies. Well, his Halloween two was god awful. It was one of the worst movies. Did I've you ever like seen. the first one he did? I, I actually did like it. Yeah, I did too. And I'm not a huge Rob Zombie fan, but I, I actually really did like it a lot. Um, the new one's fin- fantastic. I love the new one. The yep, the one that came out like yeah. a couple years ago. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I actually, so I'm going to say objectively, the Halloween movies, uh, the sequels are pretty bad, but I I have make no bones about it. I love them. Yeah. Like, I freaking, I absolutely love Halloween four and five and six. They're the most hated ones in all of horror, but I love them. What about, what about Halloween? Uh, is it, is it three? Witches? What's it called? Oh, uh, season of the witch. Season of the yeah, witch. Yeah. I that love is, it. I love you do? It. Oh my god! When you look at it as, as really? its own film, when you don't go in thinking it's a Halloween film, it's actually pretty solid. I'll have to view it again with that lens. It's pretty solid. Cause I watch that going, what the, what the hell's happening? Yeah, and that's what everyone did. They're like, what's, there's no Michael Myers. What the hell's going on? That's what. You, and so that's what I mean. So in Halloween, that's a good point because in Halloween they actually take the primary character out of it, at least for the third one. They right, did, right, right. That character is completely gone. And with Freddy, you can't do that. No. Well, they wanted what How John would you Carpenter do wanted to do is he wanted to turn Halloween into an anthology series where every year they release a new movie with a different story. Gotcha. That's what he wanted to do. So his approach to it was like, let me recreate this as an anthology. So, yeah. Okay. But people were so pissed off about it not having Michael Myers that they, they had to bring it back for the next one. Interesting. And then four five and six were just shot here in Salt Lake city. So yeah, I remember cool. that. Yeah. yeah. And I drive by Vin, used to drive by Vincent drug all the oh, time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I always go, yeah. Hey, that's Halloween four. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as far as franchises, I, I gotta say, I would rank it near the top. If yeah. not the top, the Texas Chainsaw really doesn't have a franchise. Right. Friday the Thirteenth is pretty solid. I mean, they did reboots of Texas Chainsaw, and we'll get into yeah. That, and they, they've they've done reboot. The reboot was great. There um, was two. There yeah, was a two. There was a two, and that which that, is a totally different movie. Because that Dennis Hopper in there. Dennis Hopper. That's a horror comedy. Like that's that what was, I was gonna say. And Toby it's Hooper a, still did it. It's it's hilarious. Yeah. It's great. But uh, as far as solid franchises, I, I'd say this might be number one. I I'm gonna. I'm going to go with you on that. And I say the the thing that might rival it would be Halloween mm-hmm. just because of, you know, Friday the 13th's good, but it's so, it's so module, like it's so, it, everything's the exact, I mean, so are these two, but right. like Friday the 13th is like. It's by the numbers. It's by the numbers. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. There's yeah. no deviation from no. what they're doing. Right. Exactly. And so the only reason I would put it above that and then maybe Halloween is just because of, once again, I'll fall back to, I think you have 
one of the the strongest or well most well built as a as a filmmaker uh, villains or monsters. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. So I'm gonna throw it. I'm just like I feel like today in some sense I'm being a Wes Craven slash nightmare apologist. No, and I, I just I like fucking good. going in for all the highest rankings with this. Well, film. it's funny because before rewatching this, I don't. I never would have ranked it as high as I am. But rewatching this, I'm like, this actually holds up. It does. Because my girlfriend and I were gonna do. Uh, she's never seen the Friday the Thirteenth movies and i i've seen i haven't seen all of them and i've seen most of them right. and um uh we're gonna rewatch them and i already know it's not gonna hold up like it's gonna be i've seen the first couple it's gonna be shitty yep and uh i also think halloween should get points for being halloween six was the first film paul rudd ever did so i think we gotta we gotta bump them up a little bit for that halloween six is halloween six yeah we love Paul. I love Paul Rudd. a terrible movie but... you love paul rudd oh, i love who paul doesn't rudd. Yeah, so yeah exactly. we'll, we'll give it some extra points yeah, for paul exactly. rudd so a uh, couple, a couple stats okay. on the film that I find interesting. Some things that were, were, that I was curious about, uh, going back to the release. So the film's released in November, actually of 1984. Interesting. So, uh, produced or, or financed and distributed by New Line Cinema, mm -hmm. who up to that point was just a distribution company and then took a chance, got a bunch of people to invest in it and the film actually got passed on by most studios when the script was going around. They were like, yeah, it doesn't seem like sure. our wheelhouse. Got it picked up. Robert Shea, the, the executive at New Line, picks it up. They produce it for $1.8 million. Okay. Wow. So not a whole lot of money. And we hear that go, oh, that's a lot of money. Not really when it comes right. to filmmaking. That's not a whole lot Especially of money. Especially when you consider the sets they had to build. The things that they did. And that's right. what goes back to this. Man, the technical shots they did and the way they put Unreal. this thing together Unreal. for that is, is amazing. I will say, by the way, on that note, the stairs case is a little is a little yeah off. that that one doesn't hold um, up. That doesn't hold up. <laughs> <clears throat> so released in in 1984, um, and then uh, went on to to gross over, uh, I think it was thirty over thirty million dollars. So it did really well in November. Wow! Not you know just over, all time oh, box all, office all time, gotcha. but that's huge. Yeah. I mean, those returns are amazing. And so when we talk about franchises, like. When you look at it now, New Line Cinema is the house that Freddie built. That's yep. what everyone calls it. Yeah. Because up to that point, they were a fledgling, struggling company. Yep. And then they made this film that everyone went to and it got huge box office returns and it basically built that company. Yep. So Freddie built that house by himself. Um, put it all on the shoulders of Robert England. Put it all on the shoulders of Robert England, who is, by the way, let's talk about his performance, is amazing. He's outstanding. His... Now, there's a couple things that I had a problem with, which was his stature and the way that he moved in a couple shots, not every shot. Mm -hmm. His performance as someone who's scary and evil, great. Right. Like, and, and also, once again, falling back to this idea, like overtly sexual, like it's creepy. Right, right. But like there's a couple moments where he, he has weird kind of movements. That, that's the one thing that I didn't like about Freddy, which is like he's not mobile. He's no. not, he's not athletic. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, and not in a way that Mike, Mike, Michael Myers, you know, just is, is going to walk the way he walks. Exactly. He's going to be slow. Right. And I was, the one thing I was hoping for is I wanted, and I couldn't remember, but now I watching it again, I went, Oh, like Freddie's not really agile. No, not at all. And I was hoping he's getting his ass kicked. He's always getting his ass kicked. Is that a good thing to be vulnerable as well, a character? You know like what? That? You know what? What? That might be a Wes Craven thing because you look at scream they're a little clumsy. Yeah, very clumsy. They're always just getting beat down by these by these teenage girls. Like it and by the way, let's and, and speaking on on this, like, did we know that Nancy was the first Kevin McAllister? Uh, right? Yeah, she home alone the entire house. <laughs> she home alone the house. Oh my god. Because I was watching it going, wait a minute, I thought Kevin did this first. Exa exactly. Well, then I'm thinking, you know what? Uh and didn't Jonathan Landis direct Home Alone or no, was it no, Jonathan it was uh, I can't remember who it was. It was I think it was Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus, that's right. I was thinking, did did they steal? Because some of the shots are remarkably That's exactly similar. what I thought. I was, is Chris Columbus stealing Craven's shots? Exactly. Like the sledgehammer getting pulled up in the little, the little uh, what is it? The trip wire. The trip wire. Like and it's the, the same shot. Of, like, 100%. When Kevin McAllister's I'm like, Nancy's the OG Kevin McAllister. Exactly. Exactly. Is his name Kevin McAllister? Yeah, it okay, is. Okay. I just want to make sure I was saying it right. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a fucking dumb thing for me to say. <laughs> but I was laughing at that. You know, the booby yeah, traps thing. That was hilarious. Oh, my gosh. The booby traps. If if you guys are listening, watch it. Watch for that scene and be like, "That's OG Kevin." It's right there. So I, I just it's it's kind of absurd in the sense 
just in the context of the film. But that's the other thing. And it go, we go back to this, but it's like, is it a dream or is that happening? Right. And right. why is she doing like booby traps don't make sense. <laughs> And then, a dream although I love the shot where she, she brings him out and then runs out the door yeah. and then he runs through and this hits the tripwire and the sledgehammer yeah, comes down yeah. and hits him in the gut and he's oh like, oh, <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. He's a dream monster. That's not even going to hurt him. It's not going to phase him. Right. Does that, this is a technicality. Yeah. Right. Because if they're still in the dream. Ah, uh, good point. Like, would that affect his mo his movement? No, would he be affected by a so. sledgehammer? No, he remember he went he walked through the prison bars. So is it that's this is why fucking Craven is west messing with my head. Yeah. Because are we still out of the okay. I wonder if he even knew. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm sure I'm sure they always have their their thoughts behind it. Um quickly, one of the things that stands out too is the music of the film. Mm-hmm. And talk about the music. Because you know, when you're talking about horror films, music's of utmost importance. Right, right. Now, music's of utmost importance in any film or anything that sure. you do, but horror films in particular. I mean, you could technically categorize Jaws as a horror film. Absolutely. So, and the music is what builds that. Without the music, oh, yeah. and even the beautiful shots and the selections that Spielberg gets. Without that music, it's, it's not going to draw in. What's right. what? I there's uh, the theme song of Nightmare to me. I love it. I do too. Uh, the first time I heard it, and again, I, this is kind of the context of how I came into Nightmare again is I, I had seen every other horror film first. So when, the first time I saw it, it almost sounded like they were trying to get that horror score. But the more the longer I've kind of been exposed to it, the more I really enjoy it. I think it's perfect. It, I think it fits. It's perfect. It fits it really, really well. And then and then when. Beyond just the, the tie in then to the children's song, the oh, one, two, oh. that then elevates the creepiness of Before it. Before I ever even watched this movie, I knew that song by heart, that the jumper up song. That always. I grew up with that. Exactly. And when we go back to that time when I was six, seven years old and I watched this for the oh, first God. time unknowingly, I can't imagine as a six, that seven year old. song has never left my head. <laughs> One, two, Freddy's coming for you. And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. That first little line is all you need. And as a seven-year-old going, shit, Freddy's coming for me. <laughs> oh my God. Just terrifying. I can't imagine. I'm telling you, Alan. I can't it was, imagine. It, it's still to this day. I, I, I did it. I got through it by myself. Good job. But I'm just saying. <laughs> so how many times do you think you've seen this movie? So I've, I've seen this film... You know, uh, and, and like I said, I have a weird obsession with it. Uh-huh. It's almost like a trauma. T- you know, when you go through trauma yes. and then you, and then, you know, it fucks with you. Absolutely. And so whatever that meant when I was six, seven years old and I watched this, I have a weird obsession with wanting to watch it all the time. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I've seen this movie a lot of times and I couldn't, ca- I mean, I can't count them on two hands. I mean, right. t- 15, 20 times, sure. you know, maybe more because I watch it. It's almost like I watch it every year. Sure. So and I'm now 38. So yeah, I just, uh, a weird, a weird obsession with it. I've seen it a lot of times. Uh, I think, I think Craven really does well with the film overall. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, once again, I'm going to sound like a film apologist. Sure. I think it's beautifully made. And barring, so barring those little things that we've already discussed, like if you look at it as a whole, the story is crisp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the confusion is real. Yep. The, 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 the back and forth between, you know, is it real? Is it not? You know, this verisimilitude of idea of like, is this a real thing happening? And is it, is it, or is it surreal or is it mixed or right. what's a hybrid? Like, where are we in this world? But that confusion plays into the story really well. Yep. And I thought he did beautifully at that. I think his uh, subtext is deep and dark. Uh, when we talked about that, I think the subtext to me makes it creepier. I think the monster, the villain is up, up there in the top two. Yep. And, um, so I think aside from giving so much praise to, to Craven, I think the film's just really, really fun to watch and really, you know, elegantly for a horror film made. Yeah, I, 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 I think he hit it. I think I totally agree. And the parents are uh, fucking stupid. It's so stupid. And I think he's playing into that. So like we talked about. So um, a couple things on, you know, we do this each podcast and it's once again, I always remind the listeners that it's not really because I care about ratings. Right. I just don't give a shit. Right. But I do it to give some form of context to where we think the movie falls. I think we've already praised it quite a bit. 
Um, but uh, I want to read through a couple of the, uh, the ratings. So the ratings for the film, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has the film at 94% from uh, the critics. That, is, that surprises me. 94% for the critics, 83% for the audience. Interesting. So I always look at this and go, who's right? In my perspective, this is how I base my, right. my decision. And I'm going with the critics. Yeah, I think so too. And I wonder if it has to do with a lot of the set pieces that they built and the technicality of making some of those kills. Yeah, because when you're a film enthusiast or a critic or someone who's a film buff, right. there's a, uh, always an underlying appreciation for knowing how they did it. Exactly. And, and feeling like obligated to congratulate them for an achievement exactly. well done in technicality. Yep. Exactly. <clears throat> IMDb has it at 7.5 out of 10. Um. And let's see, Metacritic has it at 76%. Google users, 91% like the movie. So uh, I say to you, where does this fall for you? Uh, if you have to assign it a rating, where are you going to put it? We're going to go one out of 10, keep it basic, simple. Where, where do you fit? As a horror fan, I'm going to put it up there. I'm going to, and I'm, I'm a pretty tough grader, but I would give oh, it, okay. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a solid eight. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty solid. Yeah. And once again, every, almost every podcast we've done up to this point, I am literally, and that's my new name, I will title it in the subtext, <laughs> or in the subtitles, I mean, as Film Apologist. Film Apologist. Now, right, the reason right. is, and it goes back to what we just said, which is I always look at things and I go, as a filmmaker myself, right. and someone who does short films and things like that, I go, I'm always looking at it through that lens. Yeah. So I'm always going... Like want to clap my hands like nice shot, way to put Exa that right, together. Exactly, way exactly. to go, and yeah. I'm like encouraging them. So I always have that rooted in. I don't think it'll ever leave because I'm always analyzing it with that, with that, with that lens. So, with that said, um, looking into how it holds up, looking into what it means to horror films in general, uh, the characters, the performances. I think the acting aside, we talked about some of the mm -hmm. acting. Um, I think. I would probably place it at a nine. Nice. Um, and, and you know, those. it's always how you feel, too. And having just sure. come off watching it, I'm, like, pumped up about it. I know. I am, too. So, Which is, is not what I expected because I just – I always look back at this franchise as kind of, like, fun, campy stuff. I, I really genuinely forgot how scary it is. Well, I think if we go further into the sequels, we'll get a little bit different about our feeling yeah, about the franchise so, to so. a degree. I think so. I think we'll we'll have a different idea about what that means. So this is... Uh, I, the last thing I want to do here is read some plot summaries. Okay. Now, these are written by just random people on the internet. Okay. This is a new little piece I've decided like to throw this. in. I like this. I want you to tell me if they're good or bad okay. or give a little... Uh, uh, through line of okay good or bad okay because i think and and listen to the particular words okay okay and anybody who's listening if you write your own plot summary that's better than any of these i'll give you a free itunes gift Ooh. of a nightmare on elm street oh i like that <clears throat> if you're if i think and that there's a lot of discretion there right yeah right right here's one i'm gonna read a few the monstrous spirit of a slain child murderer seeks revenge by invading the dreams of teenagers whose parents were responsible for his untimely death. I, I like it. I, I don't like calling him a monstrous spirit, though, because he's, he's more of a force than that. I think spirit, and I think, you know, they're moving stuff around on the table. Right. You're seeing it. He's I'm a not, force of nature. He, he is a force of nature, right. And also, I don't like <laughs> untimely death. Yeah, untimely death. I, did, I didn't even catch that. This yeah. bastard, deserved, he deserved he to die. He absolutely deserved to die. That's good. So no monstrous spirit um, and no untimely death. But in terms of like seeking revenge and invading the dreams of the teenagers whose parents were responsible, yeah. nice little layout there. Yep, for That's sure. Good. <clears throat> this one's a little, a little longer. I'm going to try to keep the shorter ones. Fred Krueger is a substance of nightmares. He always appears strangely dressed and has knives on the fingers of his right hand. A group of four teenagers all begin to have the same strange dreams about Fred before one of them is gruesomely murdered in her sleep. The survivors soon realize that if Fred kills them in their sleep, then they will die in real life too. Thus begins an ordeal of wakefulness as they try to find some way to stop Fred. I love... 
I don't like calling him Fred. I know they call him that in the movie, but I don't like calling him Fred. He's just Freddy to me. But I agree. I love the 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 the, the catching sentence, the opener to that. I love it. Fred Krueger is the substance of nightmares. Love it. The love substance. It. The substance is good. Yeah. Um, but there's too much definition in it oh, for, for me. Sure, for like sure. he always appears strangely dressed with night. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much too, detail. Too much. Too much. Yeah. Okay. Leave last, a little bit more mystery there. Last one. So if you're rating them, we go one or two so far. What's the best one? Uh, one. One's the best. I agree. Here's the last one. Nancy and her friends suffer violent nightmares, which all feature one common element, a disfigured serial killer with a glove made of razors on his right hand. When one of the group is murdered while asleep, Nancy realizes that she must stay awake and try to uncover the truth behind this phantasmic killer, Fred Krueger. That one's not doing it for me. I mean, technically it's right, but it's just not, there's, I don't know, it's missing something. Yeah, I think the efficiency is there. Yeah, the efficiency is there. But I also hate the word, and we'll go back, phantasmic. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. I don't know, even, I don't even know what that means. I don't either, but I just know it's ghostly. Right. You know what I mean? And he's not a ghost. He's not a ghost, no. He's, uh, like, he's a fucking freak of nature. (laughs) (laughs) So That one has some good definition, but I don't think... It doesn't. It doesn't fall in line. We'll give it to one. Yeah, I'm gonna give right it to now. One. Now, if anyone writes a better one, th- that's better than one. Yeah. Then I'll give you a iTunes gift of a Nightmare on Elm Street. That's a sweet prize. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah, I like get that. A, you get in, you you send in your. So this is how you'll do it. You'll send it on the Facebook channel, right? You'll type in your plot summary, and if you get if you win, I'll get your email and send you an iTunes gift it. of a Nightmare on Elm Street. I love it. Because this month, that's what we're going to do. So with Horror Month, what I want to try to do is those that are listening, I want to incentivize them to continue to listen and, and become participants in what we're doing. This is a community. I want to build a community of people who care about film, love film, love talking film, and want to interact. So anybody that writes a better plot summary gets a free copy of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Love it. That's a hell of a prize. Yeah, hell yeah. Let's do it. So thanks for, thanks for this cast. Do you have any last notes on... On uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for me? No, I, I just, I loved it. I it, it held up way better than I thought. I agree. I'd say go watch it. You know, as mo- the month of October rolls around now. This is going to drop on October 1st. So as this month goes in, you have, this is a have to watch. Yeah. I think for watch. the month of October. Definitely. And uh, next time we're going to, we're going to chat uh, 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 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So stay tuned for that. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the other side. This is Tame Aperture Podcast signing out. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.